You're listening to the Food Files podcast, the latest from the Oklahoma State University Robert M. Kerr Food and Agricultural Product Center. Here's your host, Darren Scott. Welcome to the Food Files. I'm your host, Darren Scott, and today's guest is Miss Renee Nelson, FAPC Milling and Baking Specialist. Morning, Renee. Morning. Well, you know, Ray, over the past year, there has been an uptick in home baking. And so, you know, when I've gone to the grocery store, uh, sometimes there might be a lot of self-rising flour, but no all-purpose flour or, you know, vice versa, or there might not be any flour at all. So, you know, I was hoping today that we could talk a little bit about the different types of flour, you know, and how they're used. That'd be great. Well, you know, before we get started, maybe we could start talking about the different types of wheat that are used to make the flour. How about that? Okay, so maybe a lot of people aren't aware that when you say wheat, there's actually across the U.S., there are six classes of of wheat that are grown and they're all different. Okay. And the and the way to understand that how can they all be different is maybe think about um, dogs or cows, how there's dogs, but you know, there's breed types and there's mm-hmm. colors that are required within a breed. And so that's kind of how the wheat works. Okay. There's um, different colors and um, kernel characteristics that are within each class. And so there are six and there's hard red winter, hard red spring, soft red winter, hard white winter, soft white, and Durham. And each of those you can think are separated by something called hardness, Mm -hmm. color, and growing season. Each of these six classes are grown throughout the U.S., but Mm -hmm. sometimes each one is grown in a region, like in Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, maybe part of Colorado. Mm -hmm. We predominantly grow hard red winter wheat. Okay. And maybe I should have said something before I started this. You know, wheat is sold on the commodities market. And so to be sold as a commodity, you have to keep each class of wheat um, segregated or separate mm-hmm. from each other. So mm-hmm. you have proof of what you're selling. Okay. So we grow hard red winter wheat in Oklahoma and our elevators keep all that separated. And hard red winter wheat, you might think, oh, well, it's red somehow. Well, it's not really red. It's the, they're talking about the kernel of wheat seed. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a dark brownish golden color okay. compared to when we said hard white winter, the kernel of wheat isn't really white on the outside. And we're talking about the outside of the wheat seed. Mm-hmm. It's just more of a yellow where hard red winter is more of a darker golden color. Okay. Maybe with a tinge of red. So hard red winter wheat grown in Oklahoma, the hard part is talking about the uh, physical hardness of the kernel. Mm-hmm. The um, It's harder to bite through than when we talk about soft wheat. So we talked about hard, we talked about red. Winter means when was it planted? So in Oklahoma, we plant our wheat in the fall, late, early winter, like mm-hmm. October, November, and it grows. It actually, it's a cool season grass, so it grows grows through the winter and we harvest it in May Okay. versus the other spring. It's actually planted in the spring and harvested late summer, early fall. Okay. 
So that's all confusing now, isn't it? So, <laughs> so in Oklahoma, we grow mainly hard red winter wheat. We've mm-hmm. talked about what hard means in red and winter, mm-hmm. but there are characteristics from it with the, with the flower. And so there are protein characteristics associated with each of these classes. Mm-hmm. And hard red winter wheat is classified as a medium protein wheat, meaning it probably has a protein of anywhere from 10 to 13%. Okay. That that type of wheat that produces that kind of flour mm-hmm. is mainly used kind of like for breads and mainly or rolls, flatbreads. It's just a general all-purpose flour. Hard red spring wheat, we talked about what hard and red and spring mean. It's mainly grown in the northern U.S. Um, it is kind of like the one of the higher protein wheats available. Mm-hmm. That is grown, and that's just the way it is genetically. It tends to produce a higher protein, maybe like 12 to 15 percent. And because it's higher, it's really good for all kinds of breads, bagels, and even pizza crust. Okay. Soft red winter, we talked about, you know, um, soft meaning it's not as hard to break through. Mm-hmm. We talked about what red and winter mean. It can be grown Arkansas, but mainly around Ohio. There's little spots where it's it's mainly grown. But because it's soft, it feels a lot like cornstarch. Okay. And it's genetically has a lower protein. Mm-hmm. So under 10, because it has low protein, it's not considered a very strong flour. And so it's mainly used for cakes or pastries. Okay. Hard white winter wheat. We talked about what hard white and winter mean. Um, It can be grown in Oklahoma. A lot of times it's grown um, in Kansas and Colorado. Mm -hmm. It has the same characteristics as the hard red winter, except the color is of the flower is different the heart the redness of the hard red winter wheats and the hard red spring mm-hmm. come from something called tannins okay these, these tannins give a reddish darker golden color but they're also bitter okay and that's kind of like why we a lot of us don't like whole wheat bread is we don't like that bitter taste mm-hmm. well ha- hard white winter because it's whiter it doesn't have the tannins and so it has a more mellow taste okay so so hard white winter wheat is basically like hard red winter all the characteristics it just has a different taste okay soft white it can be grown around the ohio iowa areas too and some other places throughout the u.s a little regionally Mm -hmm. but it is um just very soft wheat that is whiter like the hard white winter because it's soft it's lower in protein and so it's used for cakes pastries sometimes for noodles Mm -hmm. and then there's durham durham is very hard it's the gold standard for pasta mainly grown northern u.s Mm -hmm. but because of the code of federal regulations and the definition of flour durham is the only class of wheat that is not allowed 
to be called flower. So when you see Durham flower, that's why it has the word Durham in front of flower to tell you what kind of flower it is. Where if you just say flower, the Code of Federal Regulations automatically assumes that it's made from wheat and it came from the other five classes. We were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording about um, bleached and unbleached flour. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit of information about that. So you go to the grocery store and you'll see bread flour and you'll see um, all-purpose flour. And sometimes there's like two different options. There's Mm -hmm. the bleached version and there's the unbleached version. And a lot of times on the internet and sometimes in social media and magazines, you'll read articles that are pretty derogatory or negative towards the purchasing the bleached. Some people pretty much say, oh, well, you know, it's been Cloroxed and and things like that. That's not true. You know, this is a food. There are federal guidelines on food safety. Mm-hmm. But I think what is missed in some of these uh, these stories um, is the history of bleach flour, why it's done. So I don't know if a lot of people are aware, but we've been arguing about should we eat white flour or whole wheat flour since Plato and Socrates? <laughs> um, you know, back in you know that era, even mm-hmm. the Roman times, sure, they didn't like whole wheat flour for the same reasons we don't sometimes like whole wheat flour. It's heavier, it tastes funny, it's grainier. That's kind of why white bread is so much more popular. And so, even back in the Roman times, they had white flour and they had different versions of whole wheat flour. So it's not a new argument. No, it's not new at all. And so the white flour was Mm -hmm. more expensive. Throughout history, it was just the thing that if you wanted flour, you wanted it uh, whiter in color because Mm -hmm. it didn't have the brand and you would like the taste better. Mm -hmm. And so when flour is freshly milled, it has a very kind of yellow tinge to it Mm -hmm. that comes from carotenoid pigments in the flower those carotenoid pigments oxidize over time they're exposed to oxygen Mm -hmm. and they break down and they turn white over time now over time could be a few weeks up to a few months it was the early 1900s we figured out that we could bleach, and I use quotes around that, to hurry up or speed up this oxidation process. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, what they do is they use something called benzoyl peroxide to quickly take out the yellow color of the flower mm-hmm. that's regulated. It's uh-huh. a it's a dry. It's regulated by the federal government. It's a dry powder, and it reacts pretty much instantaneously to the carotenoid pigments. Uh-huh. And within 24 hours, it's it's no longer present in the flower itself. Okay. So instead of milling the flower and not being able to sell it for maybe a, a month or two. Mm -hmm. to get the color the way that the consumer prefers to see it, Mm -hmm. they add benzoyl peroxide, which isn't present when you purchase it at the store. And that's what you read a lot on social media is that there's still that bleaching agent 
in the flower Mm -hmm. and it's not there. You've briefly gone over just a little bit about some of the different types of flower. And I thought maybe we could kind of discuss that a a little bit more. Maybe some of the characteristics, protein content and what types of products, you know, the different uh, different types of flower could be used in. During the whole COVID pandemic and we went grocery store shopping and we arrived in the flower aisle, I could find nothing. Like, I'm sure a lot of people. I was going to say, you're not alone. But I did find uh, gluten-free flour. Mm -hmm. And the the salesman said, hey, you know, you can use this. And I'm like, no, that's a little (laughs) different. And so I think what gets lost in a lot of the social media and news stories about wheat flour is that wheat flour is so unique. It's the only plant that has these two proteins called gliadin and glutenin mm-hmm. that are present in the right form to combine and make gluten. Gluten, even though it gets a really bad rap, is really awesome because without it, we couldn't have bread in the shapes that we like. It couldn't rise because when it rises, the gluten is what holds all the carbon dioxide gas from the yeast in, Mm -hmm. and we wouldn't have bread like we know it. And so when you go to the store and you want to make bread, or pizza the way traditionally it's done, you have to have wheat flour. And so when you go, let's say you want to make bread, you could make bread with all-purpose flour, but it would make better bread if you used bread flour. And the, the reason is bread flour has a higher protein content than all-purpose flour. It's not a standardized thing or government uh, requirement to have regulated protein levels. Mm -hmm. Just the wheat mills generally try to have bread flour around 11 and a half to 14% protein. Okay. All purpose flour might be 10 to 11 and a half. Mm -hmm. If you have more protein, it's easier to achieve a taller loaf of bread Mm -hmm. because it has more gluten and you can have more stretch. Okay. So you could make bread or pizza or dinner rolls from all purpose, but you might get a better product if you use bread flour. Okay. Cake flour, a lot of people don't see it. It's usually in the box at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And it's called cake flour because it has lower protein and it's made of soft wheat. Well, the softness allows the cake to hold more sugar. Mm-hmm. There's a whole chemical reasoning behind that. I'll just say that. But it makes a softer cake. You can make a cake from all-purpose flour, uh-huh. but you'll have a softer crumb mm-hmm. and like a fancy cake if you use cake flour. Okay. So that's why all-purpose is called all-purpose. It's good for lots of things, but you can choose a better one if you want to. Okay. So if you want to make a traditional product, you need to buy wheat flour. If you are like me and you wound up at the grocery store and all that was there was gluten-free flour, then you have to purchase something to mimic the gluten. And Mm -hmm. so you have to go find something like a gum that's sticky Mm -hmm. and kind of can act like gluten. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to do. Uh, We're getting better at figuring out how to do it. Sure. But it just takes practice. You know, there's just a lot of a lot of social media posts and news stories about how bad gluten is. But if you're really not celiac, because celiac is a terrible thing, you lose the appreciation of how important wheat flour is. I mean, it's it's been the main protein source for people for 
you know, thousands of years when we just had bread to eat mm-hmm. and flatbreads and things. And, and before we learned how to, to have yeast and you just learn, you just lose the appreciation of how amazing wheat flour is. All right. Well, what about pastry flour? Pastry flour is a lot like cake flour. It's made from soft wheats, mm-hmm. um, but it the mills generally try to find flat, soft wheat flours that have a little higher percentage. Mm-hmm. So maybe and where cake flour is six to eight percent, pastry flour is like seven to nine and a half. Okay. So you can make maybe more of more of a firmer pastry than a cake, than the okay. type of crumb for a cake. Mm-hmm. They're pretty interchangeable, but if you're uh, trying to be a specialty, make a specialty product, product, you might go out and search for pastry flour. But okay. the key, the key is pastry and cake flour are made from soft wheats, mm-hmm. where bread and all-purpose are made from the hard, hard wheats. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. What about self-rising flour? Okay. So self-rising flour does not have yeast, which I've had people tell me before. Does not have yeast. Mm-hmm. Self-rising flour has chemical leaveners in it. Mm-hmm. And so let's say you're trying to make biscuits and, you know, biscuits have baking powder and, and the like. And so... Mm-hmm. You, you can go purchase self-rising flour that already has those chemical leaveners in it uh-huh. to make biscuits. I would not recommend using self-rising flour to make anything else that like a yeast product. You would mm-hmm. want to use self-rising flour for a chemical leaven product. Okay. Well, you know, we've kind of covered quite a bit of information today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just challenge people to, when they read something on social media, maybe go and take a step and investigate things because sometimes you miss how the unique story and the history behind a product. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on this morning, Renee. Okay. Thank you. I'd also like to thank the listeners for tuning into this episode of The Food Files. And I'd also like to thank AgCom for the production of this podcast. For additional food industry information, please make sure to visit our website at food.okstate.edu. Until next time.